Hello, and welcome to the podcast, An Intelligent Look at Terrorism. I'm your host, Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Ottawa, Canada. We are now up to episode 26, and in today's podcast, I want to examine the relationship between the holidays, i.e. the Christmas holidays, as they're celebrated in most of the West and in many countries where there's a large Christian population, and terrorism. I want to look at a number of attacks or plots that have taken place around the Christmas period and discuss why terrorist groups would focus on Christmas and target it as a particularly propitious time to carry out an act of terrorism. So let's start first with the numbers of attacks or terrorist-related items that we've had coinciding with the Christmas period over the past couple of decades. One of the most famous incidents that in it, in and of itself was not terrorism, but certainly led inextricably to the creation of one of the greatest terrorist groups in history, was the decision in, in on, on Christmas Eve in 1979 by the Soviet Union to essentially invade Afghanistan. They took that decision to support an Afghan communist government which was fighting with anti-communist elements in Afghanistan at the time and sent some 30,000 soldiers into the country to establish some kind of control. The Soviets, of course, remained in Afghanistan until 1989 when they basically withdrew their, with their tails between their legs, having not won much of anything. Uh, you would have thought the Russians would have, or sorry, the Soviets would have learned their lesson given that Afghanistan was the battleground for both the English and the Russians back in the 19th century, neither of which established any degree of control over that country. The important thing, of course, from our perspective is that the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan led to the creation of a number of what were called initially freedom fighters, also called the Afghan Arabs. These are individuals who had gone to Afghanistan from a variety of Muslim countries and other non-Muslim countries to fight against the Soviet occupation. Of course, this all morphed into Al-Qaeda, which became the first real transnational Islamist extremist group. And it can be safely said, I believe, that in the absence of the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan on Christmas Eve 1979, you probably would not have seen the formation of Al-Qaeda. So that was the first real juxtaposition between the Christmas period and terrorism. Fast forward to 2000, and there were a wave of bombings in Indonesia that targeted nine churches in Jakarta and in eight other locations. The bombings took place uh, in the evening on the 24th of December. 15 people were killed and 96 were injured, including children. Several policemen were injured as well. The bomb that was used was a cock-up of yellow powder, carbon, an alarm clock, and a cell phone which was uh, detonated remotely. Two suspects, both of whom became very famous afterwards, were arrested in conjunction with the bombings. The first one is Hambali. He was known as the, the Osama bin Laden of Southeast Asia, a member of Jama'i Islamiyah, a significant terrorist group that carried out many attacks in Indonesia in the following years. Hambali's been in Guantanamo Bay for quite some time and probably won't see the light of day anytime soon. The other person who was tried for his involvement, but found not guilty, was Abu Bakr Bashir, who was subsequently convicted in the 2002 Bali bombings, another significant figure in Jama'i Islamiyah and in the Southeast Asia and Indonesian Islamist extremist movement. 
In 2008, we had what are called the Christmas Massacres, which occurred between December 24th and 27th, when a group known as the Lord's Resistance Army, defined as a Ugandan terrorist group, attacked several villages in the Democratic Republic of Congo. The LRA has been around for a very, very long time, practiced uh, a heinous um, use of child soldiers and other bizarre uh, types of beliefs, like their soldiers couldn't be wounded because they were protected by magic amulets or magic forces. And they elected to, to, to target Christian churches and Christians uh, on that date, on those dates in 2008. In 2009, we had an interesting attempted terrorist attack, which occurred on Christmas Eve, when a Nigerian named Umar Farouk Abdul Mutalab attempted to detonate what were essentially bombs in his underwear en route from uh, on a, in an aircraft that was en route from Amsterdam to Detroit. He tried to detonate the bomb. It didn't work. He was over, overpowered by two passengers and the flight uh, actually landed safely in Detroit. I remember the time when this attack or this planned, planned attack occurred. I was working at CSIS, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, and we noted that, in fact, if Mr. Abdutalab had been successful in lighting his underwear, uh, detonating the bomb, that aircraft actually would have come down over southwestern Ontario, either my hometown of London, Ontario, or Windsor on the American-Canadian border, or somewhere in between. In 2013, there were, on Christmas Day, there were three separate bombings in Baghdad, targeting Christians, in which 38 people were killed and 70 others were wounded. The following year, in 2016, the Abu Sayyaf group, which is an Al-Qaeda-linked terrorist group in the Philippines, wounded 16 people, including an office, a police officer, when a bomb was detonated outside a Catholic church in the southern Philippines. Also in 2016, we had the Christmas market attack in Berlin. This is on the 19th of December, so prior to the Christmas period, but if you've been to Europe, uh, any of the major cities in Europe during the Christmas time, you know that Christmas markets are a major feature uh, of those cities. I was in Tallinn, Estonia a few weeks ago and happened to walk through that old city's Christmas market, a, a wonderful affair with stalls and, and food and Christmas ornaments and Christmas themed material for sale. They draw a lot of people. I'll return to that in a second. And so Christmas markets are truly uh, an amazing part of Europe's Christmas tradition. A failed Tunisian asylum seeker called Anas Amri hijacked a truck. He actually shot the driver dead before he got in himself. And he drove into the Christmas market next to the Kaiser Wilhelm Memorial Church in the Breitscheidplatz in Berlin. And at the, in, at the end of his um, spree, he killed 12 people and wounded 56 others. The perpetrator, Mr. Amory, uh, was able to flee Berlin. He was actually killed in a shootout in Milan, Italy, four days later. But this was a, a very a catastrophic attack on the German Christmas market. We'll return to that in a second as well. Mr. Amri's attack was claimed by ISIS, and in fact, the group released a video in which he had pledged allegiance to the ISIS terrorist group. I don't think there's any indication that he was a real member of Islamic State or had traveled to Iraq or Syria to meet with the group. 
to me, this was an example of somebody who is a wannabe, who went so far as to pledge bayat, an Arabic word for allegiance to ISIS, and the group was, was more than happy to claim him as one of their own because it's a, it's a no-brainer. There's no cause for ISIS to claim these things. In fact, they get the credit for something which may very well have had nothing to do with the terrorist group itself. So speaking of Christmas markets, in 2018, on December the 11th, another Christmas market was attacked. This one in Strasbourg. A lone terrorist named Sharif Shakat, armed with a knife and a revolver, murdered five people and wounded 11 others before he was shot by police following a two-day manhunt. Most recently, in fact, just a couple of days ago, authorities in Austria foiled a plot to carry out a series of terrorist attacks, including the bombing of one of Vienna's Christmas markets. The plot involved three men, including a so-called 24-year-old ringleader who had been influenced by ISIS. Again, another example of an individual whom we would term uh, terrorist wannabes or ISIS or Al-Qaeda wannabes who seek to associate themselves with terrorist groups in part to make themselves look more important and in part to, I suppose, instill fear in the population. If you can say that a certain event, a certain incident is linked to Islamic State or Al-Qaeda or another terrorist group, it, as I said earlier, it gives credit to those groups. It makes them seem, seem bigger than they are and I think helps to perpetrate the notion that they're still here. This is especially important for Islamic State because, of course, as we're all aware, the caliphate has been abolished thanks to uh, the armed forces of a number of nations earlier on this year. ISIS, of course, is still there, still has a very strong online presence. And so for ISIS to say that in, at the end of 2019, after their so-called defeat, as U.S. President Trump erroneously stated it, they can claim a plot to bomb Christmas markets in Vienna. It's, that's essentially their way of saying, hi, I'm here. I haven't gone away. You didn't entirely destroy me. And I can still carry out attacks that are going to cause you fear. So that, that's a, a fairly hefty list of uh, terrorist attacks or plots that are linked to the Christmas season. The more important question is, why? It's not that terrorist attacks are limited to the Christmas season. We see terrorist attacks all the time. And in fact, if you're interested, there's a series that I, I am publishing on my website, borealisthreatenrisk.com, entitled Today in Terrorism, in which I look at a terrorist attack at some point in history, talk about what happened, and try to draw out some themes larger themes about the attack itself and discuss what it means for what's happening today. So you can you can access that on my website, which you also might want to subscribe to. There are a lot there's lots of content on the website. There are podcasts such as this. There's the the feature today in terrorism. There are also perspectives. There are links to media interviews that I've given as well as to the podcast series Quick Hits, which is a shorter podcast about current events in the world of terrorism and counterterrorism. So go to www.borealisthreatenrisk.com, hit the subscribe button, put in your email address, and you'll get this stuff sent to you automatically. So let's get back to this notion as to why it is that terrorists would target the Christmas season. Well, I think there are a couple of reasons for this. The most obvious one is that, as we saw with the Christmas market bombings in Strasbourg and in Berlin, and the planned one in Vienna, 
There's no question that the Christmas holiday season attracts a lot of people. Even if, even if you're not a Christian or a devout or, or practicing Catholic or other denomination of Christianity, there's no question that the Christmas season is one in which people gather a lot, whether it's at Christmas markets or at restaurants or to out to go shopping. Christmas season, of course, being sort of the engine that drives uh, the profit margins of many, many retail stores around the world. The amount of business done around Christmas is phenomenal. So if you're a terrorist group and you want to target a venue where there can going to be a lot of people, what better time of year than to pick Christmas? You're bound to find people in shopping malls or in Christmas markets or in restaurants or office parties. The 2015 San Bernardino attacks carried out by the husband and wife team, again, Islamic State inspired, targeted a Christmas party that was being held by local municipal officials. There was a critical mass of people there. The, the husband and wife team knew that. They knew that if they, if they entered the building, they would have their pick of targets. In actual fact, they killed several dozen and wounded a, a few dozen more. Remember that terrorists want to have as much an effect as possible. There's no point in carrying on an attack where, where nobody's going to show up. First of all, you don't achieve your goal of instilling terror in the population. Secondly, your brand is pretty well a loser and a failure if you can't take out as many people. So Christmas season, obviously, is one where you're gonna almost be guaranteed, no matter where you are in the world, that you will have a number of people going about their business, celebrating the holiday season, not really worrying about terrorism, probably not aware of those around them, not looking out for signs of people who might be acting suspiciously, and the chances are your attack will be that much more successful. As I mentioned, when I was in Tallinn a few weeks ago in Estonia, uh, the Christmas market was packed. There was a, a number of, of temporary stalls that were put up in the center of the old town, and there must have been several hundred people milling about, drinking glog, great Estonian glog, shopping for Christmas gifts, shopping for Christmas ornaments, and had a terrorist decided to attack that venue, there could have been multiple casualties. And of course, we know that local law enforcement and security forces simply don't have the resources to patrol around these venues on a constant basis, which again makes it easier for terrorists to have the success that they so seek. I think the second reason why the Christmas season would be a particularly lucrative time for terrorists to strike, especially Islamist extremists, is because we know that Islamist extremists absolutely detest Christianity. They hate any country in which Christianity is the majority religion. You'll see through Islamic State propaganda and the propaganda of other terrorist groups that they dismiss Christians as cross worshippers. There is a constant re re refrain or response to the Crusades, which happened a thousand years ago. There, I had a recent Today in History blog on that particular uh, historical time. I've actually I've had several. One had to do with Charles Martel and the Battle of Poitiers in the early part of the 8th century. Another was a more recent attack against the Crusader castle Karak in Jordan. So to the, to the Islamic State and other Islamist extremists, Christians are the enemy. They, we are the ones, those of us who are Christian, who are attacking their lands, occupying their territory, and killing Muslims ostensibly in the name of God, ostensibly in the name of the cross. Doesn't matter, this is inaccurate. This is how these guys see it. So 
Islamist extremists would associate the Christmas holiday with Christianity, not surprisingly, and they would associate it with people wanting to celebrate their faith, their belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, who was born over the Christmas period, at least that's what the, the tradition tells us. So I think for, for Islamist extremists, the Christmas holidays would be one more reminder that Christianity is out there. As I said, despite the fact that in many Western countries, you're seeing increasing secularism and certainly a lack of practice of practicing Christians, be they Catholic, Protestant or whatever, but the Christmas season itself and the Christmas spirit overrides the fact that we have declining church attendance. It's still associated with, with the Christian faith. And I think that these terrorist groups would want to strike out against these Christian groups to basically show again that they consider us to be the enemy and they want to kill as many of us as possible. Now, this is really interesting because from a normative perspective, if you look at Islam as a as a normative world religion, Christianity is actually treated quite specially within normative Islam. So I don't want to go into a lot of details, but basically Christianity and Judaism are seen as the building faiths upon which Islam began in the late part of the 6th and early parts of the 7th centuries. And Christians and Jews are given a special status within Islam. They're called Ahli Kitab, or people of the book. And But what this means is that the Christian scriptures, so the Torah, which the Jews used, and the New Testament, which the Old New Testaments, which Christians use, predate Islam. And a lot of the stories that are found in those particular books are in fact repeated in the Quran. If you read the Quran as a book of literature, as opposed to a the literal word of God as handed to the prophet Muhammad through the archangel Gabriel, you see a lot of consistent themes consistent with Christianity and Judaism. So normative Muslims recognize this. They recognize that Islam is the third great monotheistic religion. They happen to believe that Islam is the culmination of this prophecy. The Prophet Muhammad was seen as the last of the prophets, but all the prophets from the Old Testament, you know, Adam and Noah and Elijah, Jesus Christ himself, they're all in the Quran and all their stories are there. So for the world's Muslims, Christianity in Judaism played a critical part in creating the foundation upon which Islam was based. So for normative Muslims, there's no need to target Christianity. There's no need to kill Christians and Jews. What the Islamist extremists have done is essentially go against normative Islam. And they, of course, see, see themselves as normative. They see themselves as the only true form of Islam, and they will dismiss any other interpretation. In fact, statistics show quite clearly that the vast majority of victims of Islamist extremist terrorist attacks are other Muslims, not Christians and Jews, other Muslims, because these terrorists do not recognize their co-religionists as having the right to interpret things differently. This is one more point I think that's important to underscore that the type of faith that Islamist extremists adhere to is not mainstream, it's not normative, it is irrepresentative of the faith of over a billion people. The fact that they can target Jews and Christians as the primary enemies of Islam goes against what the basic tenets of Islam teach. They of course will say that Christianity and Judaism are Islam's enemies. There's a, a, a constant theme of anti-Semitism in Islamist extremist propaganda. 
There's a constant theme of anti-Christian sentiment. As I said, they tend to see Christians through the lens of crusaders. That whole period of history in which we had religious wars, primarily uh, between the two major faiths at the time, Christianity and Islam. So I think it's for these reasons that the Christmas period is a particularly nasty one when it comes to terrorism. Again, it's not the only time of year in which terrorist attacks are planned or carried out. I refer you again to the Today in, Hist Today in Terrorism feature of my website, where you'll hear about all types of different types of attacks, not just Islamist extremists, that have occurred over dozens and dozens of countries and over the better part of 400 years. The foiling of the attack by Austrian police this week is worrying. It shows that this desire to hit Christmas has not gone away. I'd be very surprised if we don't see analogous attacks against churches, against Christmas markets, or even against shopping centers where Christmas shopping is in full swing for the reasons I already cited. Lots of people, lots of attention. You're going to get the headlines. So that's my discussion on, on Christmas and terrorism. Um, I, I hope you enjoyed it, even though it was a rather dark subject. I'd love to hear from you. Love to get your feedback on what you thought of this podcast and the other material that's available on BorealisThreatenRisk.com. Again, I encourage you to subscribe using the subscribe button on my website. You can reach me on my Gmail address, BorealisRisk at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter at BorealisSaves, on LinkedIn, or on Facebook. I'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, I'll talk to you again soon in a future podcast. I'd like to wish all my listeners a very Merry Christmas and a very happy holiday season, as well as a very successful new year in 2020. I'll talk to you again soon. Until then, stay safe.